0: What's up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of Crossover Commerce. I'm your host, Ryan Creamer, and this is my corner of the internet where I bring the best and brightest in the Amazon and e-commerce space. What does that mean for you, the listener? Well, buckle up. There has been multiple episodes where we've had great insights, uh, tips, tricks, Anywhere to grow your business in different capacities, each episode is going to be new, unique, and different spaces in the Amazon e-commerce world. We've covered anything from sourcing logistics to marketing, advertising, building out your listing, uh, localization, even building in different marketplaces all around the world. Uh, even walking through specific tools that might lead you to uh, or might will help you, I should say, to better grow your business and become a better entrepreneur online. Uh, Without every episode uh, is presented by, just to give them a heads up, is presented by Ping Pong Payments. Ping Pong Payments is helping more sellers around the world keep more of their hard-earned money, whether it's sending uh, money to your sourcing agents or suppliers in India, China, Mexico, wherever you might be. Um, paying them out in localized currency by saving and putting more money back to your bottom line. It's safe, effective, and it's really easy to use. All you have to do is just go to usa.pingpongx.com forward slash podcast to check out all of our past episodes, but also sign up for free. Just let them know that Crossover Commerce sent you. Really easy uh, to do. So thank you, Ping Pong Payments. As I mentioned before, if you're new to the podcast, this is a this is a live podcast on LinkedIn Facebook YouTube and Twitter what that means for you if you're listening to this uh, at a different time we appreciate you listening um, after the fact but if you're catching us live uh, on your either lunch break or you just get go getting going in the morning or you just want to end the day on a nice note of listening to myself and our guests always. You can answer your, ask your questions and we'll answer live on air. So if you have a question about any of the topics or um, ask for clarification or just let us know where you're listening from, please put those in the comments below. We see those. We'll throw them up on the screen, give you a shout out, if at all possible. Um, already going ahead. Say hello, dear. Uh, thank you, um, Mom and, um from watching and listening on YouTube. So we appreciate you already tuning in for a great another Fantastic episode of Crossover Commerce. This is episode 238. And like I've mentioned before, we, we covered many facets of the e-commerce space, and today is none exception. I have I'm excited to have on uh, we've named the episode today, How D2C E-Commerce Should Approach Customer Acquisition. That is very fascinating, can go a diff- couple different ways, but I am lucky enough to have the co-founder and CEO of Fermat Commerce. Rashab Jain of from uh, Matt Commerce. His background is uh, he's been an executive at LiveRamp um, where he led his new business teams successfully, launching three new businesses in, inside of LiveRamp. And before that, he was co-founded two other startups, a solar energy company and other laboratory data sharing. He has such a fascinating background. I had to get him on the podcast to make sure that we cover this amazing topic, how D2C e-commerce should pros customer acquisition so take your notes make sure that if you're listening to this get out your uh, notary or uh, a pen and paper whatever you're doing take notes today and welcome to crossover commerce Rashab of ferment uh e-commerce uh or i'll just say ferment commerce uh Rashab, thank you for hopping on crossover commerce today
1: yeah thanks for having me i'm excited to be here
0: yeah thank you uh i didn't even ask you uh pre-show where are you uh joining us from today san francisco San Francisco. Oh. Ah, yeah, right next city to the Giants Stadium. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So quick, quick story. I've been to the Giants Stadium once. It was actually for a conference, not even for a baseball game. It was for the Rakuten conference. They would bring everyone out into the field, into the luxury suites. I got to go into the visitor box, uh dug out. I'm a huge baseball fan, as you can tell. Yep. Um, huge fan of the Giants and what they do there. It's a beautiful stadium. Um that must be a really cool part of town to be, have your office at, I was We say. just had, it was
1: opening week, two weeks ago. Uh, and yes. so it was- Busy, inc- busy to
0: get to the office.
1: <laughs> it was incredible. It was incredible. You know, it was very lively. It I mean, you could just, yeah, you could just feel the energy back in this area, which is exactly what you want, right? You want, you want to be working on a company where other people are extremely high energy, that's always very motivating.
0: I love that. I think that's a really cool dynamic. So are you, you're a big baseball fan, but um, you're obviously in an office. Is your is your team all in office now or are you remote or hybrid? What, how How does that work out for you guys right now? We're half and
1: half. So we're hybrid. There's four of us who come to the office here regularly. And then there's a bunch of folks who are remote first, but we bring people together all the time. I'm a very big believer in being able to meet people in person at least time to time. I think that being able to work remotely is very valuable because, I mean, the world just changed two years ago. And I don't know that it is reasonable to assume that we're going to snap back. But I think it
0: is fair to say that humans thrive on in-person human interaction. Absolutely. I think that's where some of the most unique ideas come from. And there's something about being able to, not just talk through screen, but to have that personal interaction. Um, I was at my first conference uh, less about a month ago or so. And so that was, uh, again, for the first time, it feels like in a long time. But just the ideas and the the constant movement, it made time completely fly by, but also just the amount of conversations I was having with people. I would say, uh, is that the same thing for you? It feels like time goes quicker and you, you can feel your body and your creative juices going a lot faster and a lot more effective. Yeah. Were you at Prosper or Shop Talk? I was at, I was at Prosper. Nice. Okay. Shop yeah, Talk yeah, yeah. was the following, what, week, two yeah, weeks, yeah, yeah. like They're like, <laughs> if you didn't go to Prosper, you went to Shop Talk, I had to say one to the other. And uh, I don't know if I could do Vegas for a full week for both events, two full weeks in a row. I think my family would not be happy with me. <laughs> that is perfectly fair. Perfectly fair. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean, to answer your
1: question, yeah, I I think that the energy that you get from being in person is, like, is very high. And at least for me, I'm a whiteboard guy. So every time there's an idea that we want to bat around, going to the whiteboard, I think brings the idea into a more tangible form, and so you just get more dynamism when you're when you're at a whiteboard.
0: Absolutely. Well, uh, you you've you've developed multiple different uh, uh, startups. Obviously, uh, reading your bio is super fascinating. I mean, I am I'm not one to just constantly read off the off the page and tell a story because everyone everyone's story is different. So tell me you you had all these different startups. Why so focus now into e-commerce and what brought you into it? Because uh reading it, I see solar energy and other data sharing companies, why are you now focused in um e-commerce with uh Fermat?
1: Yeah. So I'll do the 15 second background. So please do <laughs> growing up, I was I I I was in love with physics. And so I ended up getting my PhD in solid state physics. And while I was doing that, that's when I started two companies. So the first one was in solar energy, which was directly related to my area of research. And then the second one was a startup that was meant to help research labs, which is called, um, which called open lab. So it was a data sharing startup. So that was, that was sort of what initially got me really interested in startups. And then as I was graduating my PhD in my second startup, we basically had a, like a co-founder disagreement. So this is like a very typical way that a lot of startups eventually have to dissolve. And it was really unfortunate. And I learned a lot of lessons because I basically realized that there were a lot of areas of growth for myself personally that I needed to work on with respect to how I interacted with especially technical co-founders. And so this opportunity to work at a company called Libramp which you had shared as well in in the initial read was uh, was made available to me and I was like yeah that sounds great I should learn how to better be a leader in the software context and I was able to do that while while I was at Libramp and so two things happened while I was at Libramp and especially toward the end of that time one was e-commerce just started to accelerate dramatically, right? because of the because of the pandemic. And underneath that, we started to see a lot of very interesting nuances of that acceleration in e-commerce. So the first one is that the share of Shopify relative to the share of Amazon started to increase. And also, the share of creator-driven commerce was growing significantly faster than e-commerce itself. In fact, I don't know if you've seen, there's this like Accenture report and they're predicting that between now and 2025, creator-driven commerce is gonna grow three times faster than
0: regular e-commerce, which is already growing quite fast, right? So what do you you mean by creator? I wanna be clear for everyone who's listening to this. Yeah, They might might think one way, what's your definition of creator-driven commerce?
1: Yeah, so what's sometimes called like influencer commerce or social commerce. So basically when you're working with an influencer or somebody who creates content on on social media, the commerce driven from that cohort is actually growing very dramatically. And we're really in the early innings of that. I think like the stereotypical examples are uh, Mr. Beast and The Rock. Right. Terramana tequila. And then Mr. Beast did like the Mr. Beast burger. And then also recently did feastables. So I think those are sort of like the very stereotypical examples of people thinking about, oh, creators are doing commerce, but actually it's happening at a much more high scale than just, you know, a few very well-known people.
0: So. So, so why, so here, here's, um, Job. what i have been working in, in affiliate marketing and influencer marketing for eh, it's called six years <laughs> let's round up let, let, let's round down but it's been a while i've done it in multiple different capacities i've worked with um people used to not think of affiliate marketing it was like a dirty word it's like a coupon or a discount affiliate marketing now has changed its name pretty effectively to influencer marketing which again is a simple essentially the same thing in my mind just in a different packaged way um doing uh having an influencer who has an audience again same thing with uh affiliate marketing it's now become more robust and more more front and center with e-commerce amazon specifically too how people are driving traffic from one platform to to the end destination it could be a direct-to-consumer website it could be uh, a marketplace it could be um embeddable products which i know we'll talk about later i'm assuming with uh with your products i do my research um why why is it important that this was packaged and why all of a sudden is having this moment or now it's become this resurgence of all of a sudden it was very important a long time ago and very small but now it's become the front and center piece for a lot of different companies yeah
1: so i think that there's two things one is what was the influencer sorry not influencer, affiliate marketing of the past. And I think that the most traditional version of affiliate marketing in the past was like coupons, right? Coupon websites. Easiest way to track it, yep. Yeah. And so the way that you do like coupon websites is very different than the way that people are getting attention via creators today. So like the, I think the best example is like Honey, right? Or... One of these types of things where basically honey scans the internet for hey what is the best coupon for a specific item they basically get the affiliate fee it is essentially like a very sort of fast version of affiliate marketing
0: right yep it's a browser extension and basically it drops its cookie upon checkout the last touch attribution they're going to get a commissionable uh, payout because it's last click even though it's it's just prompting the user to to drop the cookie for them and erase the other one. So that is the last click attribution. So super easy and forward for coupon sites to do.
1: Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so that's sort of what the natural extension of affiliate marketing in the past was. And I don't think that it had anything to do with content. It had everything to do with discounting, right? And I think that what happened over the course of the, first with the increase of social media But then even more importantly, during the pandemic was actually people were influenced by, you know, creators around what kinds of items to buy, because they were either like, hey, this person is like me or aspirational. I want to be like this person. And actually, this is like a very (laughs) normal human behavior. I think we sort of think about it as like a digital thing. But actually, Thinking about it in the real world is actually a much easier way to sort of provide a framework around why there is so much creator-driven commerce today. So before the pandemic, when you would just walk around on like the main street of a city or in a mall or wherever it is, and you would just see people wearing things or buying things, that would actually be a primary source for ideas for things that you actually like, right? So for example, if I'm walking around in San Francisco, I see somebody who looks like me and I'm like, man, that gray sweater with a zip looks great on that person. I look like that person. It'll probably look great on me. I'm going to go buy a gray sweater with a zip, right? Or this like very common interaction that you see happening in malls. Like, hey, where did you buy that? Mm -hmm. Right. And I think like thinking about it in that context is actually a lot easier to then draw the parallel as opposed to thinking about it in the context of affiliate marketing in the past. Because now if you think about this real world interaction where it's like, hey, I'm inspired by this appearance, by this good, by whatever is the action that is happening in the real world, what is the online equivalent of that? That is creators using products in their lives that is being showcased on social media. The way it happens to get implemented today is using affiliate technology, but that's actually irrelevant. To the human desire, right? The human desire is I aspirationally want to be like this person, or I identify with this person, and therefore I want to buy this good. And that's why there's such high intent that gets driven from creator-based e-commerce, right? Like, why would you? Why would you buy Taramana Tequila? It's because you are like, man, I love The Rock,
0: right? Right. It, it's something that's constantly in front of you, and you you get that interaction. And you're right; it, it's it's the buyer psychology of. Who do i want to emulate and be like and um you kind of don't aren't let down in that regard. It, it goes back to the the olden i say olden days this is gonna be bad for all for all for people who <laughs> still watched movies of hey there's cigarettes or there's all these different like camel advertisements and stuff like that that was influencer marketing sub subtly in mid side movies He would zoom in and i'm aware of this because of marketing it always zooms in on products TV shows do this too, of uh, Viking Grill or Viking uh, appliances. If you're on um, Top Chef or something like that, it, it just happens now more subtly, um, and has always happened. But in social commerce, like you said, the people you want to emulate, it's kind of, uh, hey, I want to seek out these individuals, and I want to be like them. The product does get uh, first and foremost; it, it's in the front and center, and they kind of try, have that social trust of hey, this person likes it, why don't I at least try it or be like it? And it's a real power that's really shifted in terms of influencer marketing for sure. I would agree. I think affiliate uh, marketing got a better because it's just discounting and couponing. But now it's become a whole different level of marketing and advertising and and, and sharing in that regard. So with that being said, influencer marketing, are people? do, do you think people are still – enjoy being sold to subtly, or do you want people to be more front and center? Like, how are you seeing audiences respond to this shift in dynamic, especially during the pandemic of, I don't mind if they're promoting a product or I see paid ads anywhere else. Why does that bother me? Or is it really a disruption to the space and people are averse to it more? Man, that is a great question. <laughs> so there are actually two
1: dynamics. One is the audience dynamics and the second is the creator dynamics. Okay, so the first question is, how does the creator feel about doing sponsored content or working with a brand, right? 100% of creators that I speak with will not talk about a brand that they do not actually like. So this is like the single most important thing for people to understand is it does not matter how you position it or whatever it is because a creator's job fundamentally is to build creative output right and creative output i I mean we're on a podcast right now this is literally creative output right like you can't have a conversation with somebody on a podcast unless there's some level of authentic interest around hey this topic would actually be interesting to me and to my audience right like of course it just doesn't make any sense to do that, right? Why would, you, why would you bring on a guest where it's like a totally unrelated topic, you don't like it, your audience won't like it. I mean, it just doesn't add up, right? And so the thing that people sometimes don't appreciate is that creators will not work with brands that they don't actually have either authentic like for or authentic interest in. Then the second thing that you asked, which is like your direct question, which is how do consumers, feel about it right and this is where it gets very interesting the way that creator commerce actually started to emerge was not that creators started to get brands approaching them and saying hey you have a huge audience let let's work with you like that only happened in a very minority of cases the very large economy of mid and long tail creators who are creating content for their audience came from the audience asking them, hey, where did you get that sweater? Where did you buy that table? Where did you get that placemat that you're putting on your kitchen? That's where it came from. And so actually the consumer pull is extremely strong. And if you ask people, we actually, so there's a creator who we work with who was kind enough to actually ask their audience, hey, what do you actually like best about when I talk about a product in terms of, your likelihood to then actually buy that product? And the single most common answer was as long as it's something that you authentically like, we actually like that experience of shopping because we have faith in you and therefore we have faith in the recommendations that you are providing. And so this is like, I think this is a often sort of mischaracterized space where people think oh you know i wonder if it's like getting too salesy or i wonder if x or y but if you combine the fact that creators will not do things that are not actually true to themselves and to their desires with the fact that the audience actually is seeking inspiration you can actually it's just a massive amount of market pull that you're actually just filling in that demand for that type of recommendation. And I think when you start to think about it that way, it actually is very helpful in uncovering the economic opportunity that is available for both the creator and their audience.
0: Absolutely. I think that that's a, that's a great way to put it is, if you're thinking about it of making sure that the audience comes to understand and you keep them at the forefront, I think it's very important to know that Hey, this is not a channel, or this is not me just trying to push constant things, um, you know, down your throat for you to buy. This is stuff that I believe in, and and kind of that trust factor. I think a lot of influencers or creators um, take that to heart. Of hey, I won't push a product that I don't personally believe in. I won't um, I won't do it without any sort of you know. There's compensation involved, but if it doesn't fit the audience and it doesn't fit correct, that relationship's already. On the wrong foot if you're if you're accepting of that too so um with that being said what what was kind of the natural you see this unfolding in front of you 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 see that there's somewhat of an issue or there's a a hole in the market if you will there, there's a struggle between relationship building but also making sure that people aren't having that friction process of I have to, oh they're talking about product I have to go through an ad. I have to go offline to a different website. There's a lot of steps in between. What was the issue that you were seeing within your own ecosystem while you create? While you helped develop Format?
1: Yeah, so actually it was driven largely by two insights. The first one was, uh, I actually, <laughs> it's like funny how the world works in, in a series of serendipitous events. But basically the day before I resigned, I got approached by one of the large social networks to like join one of their creator programs. So all these social networks have these creator programs and it's basically one of these things where they compensate you in order to build content as they're trying to increase the amount of content on their, on their platform. And the level of compensation that they were offering during this bonus period was reasonably good. And so I was like, sure, why not? I'm resigning tomorrow anyway. So it was like a really serendipitous sort of event.
0: Still got to pay those bills.
1: Yeah, exactly. (laughs) So I was like, Hey, this is great. And so that happened and I was like, okay, this is interesting. But then once that sort of bonus period ended the total amount of earnings from my content, I think as of this moment is like, under $83, I think it's something in that range, right? So this is like,
0: content and video or uh blog. What, what was the content you were creating? It was written content. Okay. It was written content.
1: And so basically, you know, the, it was like a change in, you know, two orders of magnitude between what was the bonus amounts that were being paid and then what was the ongoing mechanism of monetization. And so I personally experienced like, Hey, most of the ways these people think that they can enable creators to earn a living will not work. It became very obvious that, hey, you cannot actually sustain a living on this type of mechanism of monetization. So that was really big sort of experience, number one. And experience number two was as I talked to more creators, the current ways of monetizing that were actually the highest amount of earnings, which is basically affiliate links, So affiliate links is actually the largest source of earnings for most creators. It has this very odd trade off dimension. So if your content is really good, let's just pretend it's a blog, right? For a moment, let's just say your blog content is really good. So it drives really high intent for shopping, right? What that means is as the person reads your content, They will click on the link go to the brand's website and then now they're on the brand's website and then they will continue their journey there so they have left your content at this point right right your engagement has dropped because you're good at driving sales right so there's this fundamental trade-off where the better you are at driving sales the worse you are at engaging your audience (laughs) it's true okay so this was like this was sort of a glaring problem with the space, right? Why Why should it be the case that the better your content is, the less likely it is that you are going to continue to engage that audience, right? And so that was, I mean, that was the moment where I realized, wait a second, not only is it the case that it's really hard to make a living as a creator, but now you have this additional complexity where the best way that t- to make money reduces engagement on your content. So it's like, okay, this economy has got to get fixed. And so that's when sort of the idea for, Hey, let's at least solve this big problem of having the person bounce out to another website in order to create the conversion that was sort of step one. And then as we started to get deeper and deeper in the space, we started to realize actually the depth of opportunity here to enable really great partnerships is uh, is it, quite large, and this is just the surface of what you can of what you can do once you start to actually align incentives by having transaction and engagement both go up at the same time.
0: I like that a lot. So you're looking at having frictionless opportunity to make sure that engagement's going up, but also conversions are staying high if they're really good at what they're doing. A lot of that happens on social media. So how how do you develop a tool, or how do you make that commerce short like that process happen without going outside the ecosystem and making it more uh, conducive to where the customer already is so if it's on an instagram or facebook or tiktok or whatnot you don't want to have something so jarring as a, a landing page or something like that if it, you wanted to look and feel something like what the person is engaging on i'm assuming how do, how do you develop that without making it on Facebook or on LinkedIn or, or wherever this person might be living content. Yeah. So, uh,
1: so there's two dimensions to that question. The first one is there are actually a lot of creators who own and operate their own websites, right? So this is sort of like blogging or anybody who has their own site or app or whatever it may be. So that context is sort of context dimension number one, where you can actually very easily build tools within the scope of their website that allows for a direct commerce interaction within that website. The second question around platforms is really important in terms of thinking about what is the consumer expectation. So the consumer expectation is, hey, I'm on X platform, but actually what they're on X platform for is for content of some variety, right? So let's just say if it's on Instagram nominally speaking, what it is is, hey, I wanna see the content from the people who I follow and I love watching stories, right? So the goal then is how do you create a commerce experience while you're watching stories such that when you go from the story of the creator to the actual commerce experience, it is continuous in that content. so let's just say it's a creator using a pan as an example, then once you say, okay, I want to buy this, you want to continue having it be the case that you're seeing the creator using the pan and then you're afforded the opportunity to actually check out alongside the creator such that it'll get fulfilled by a brand that you have learned about through that creator, right? So the job to do is actually to make sure that the experience is highly authentic to both the creator and the brand. Once you see that initial content. And then once you check out that you're pushed back into your ongoing, like story watching experience. Right. And actually when you frame it that way and you sort of abstract and realize like the, the consumer does not care who powers that experience. They don't care whether Instagram powers that experience, their TikTok powers that experience, like they don't care. They care that they have that experience, right? And so that's the way that we approach how do you actually embed within social platforms? You don't actually need a platform to build the tooling. What you need is for an experience that feels seamless and that allows you to continue the journey that you were otherwise already on. That's that's sort of the
0: product development philosophy. Gotcha. So in, in that capacity, what what was important that was it just having the product or having the brand focus is it is that this is all sounds like product focus in that capacity to make sure that hey if i'm talking about headphones with sony headphones or something like that um i i want that content to be embeddable in in terms of whether it's i'm talking about that itself right then and there and they can find directly they're not going to and off sony's website then you have to search for headphones you're not searching for all those things that i, I that i get this is it's super important to just eliminate as many steps as possible to get them to the product in itself to to even see features functionality whatever it looks like um and make it customizable to hey now instead of five steps to get to sony headphones i i'm at, down at three or two or even one Exactly. So there's two things.
1: One is you want to reduce the number of steps because the intent that was created was based on a specific product being shown alongside the creator. So let's just say you're the creator and it's the Sony headphones and you're saying like, Hey, if you want to start podcasting, you got to buy these Sony headphones. Right. And it's like reasonably clear what the call to action is. Then when the person actually goes to buy, you want two things to happen. You want it to be as short of a process as possible while supplying just the information that would be necessary in order to complete the transaction so it should only complement what you have already said about the headphones not just give you a standard product description page and then the second thing it should do is it should actually pull in images and video of you talking about the headphones in the checkout process because the reason i'm buying it is because ryan said hey these are great headphones so I want Ryan to be alongside me as I'm checking out and buying these headphones. So those are the two things you need to solve
0: for. So how, how does that work on, on mobile too? Like, if are you sharing screen? Are you sharing, like, is it like a pop-up functionality? How does that work?
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. It, it, it looks like basically like anything else that would happen in mobile, which is it basically slides up and then you actually have the creator walk you through the checkout process and provide the complimentary information yeah around what is actually happening. And when I say you have the creator walk you through, I don't mean like, you know, you're actually Welcome on the to other checkout. side. Yeah,
0: you're not Siri just talking you through, uh, putting your credit card information here and make sure that not all yeah. that kind of stuff, right?
1: Yeah, it's more, it's more about like, what does the creator actually want to say to their audience um, during this process, right? And the creator actually has a point of view, which is why they partnered with the brand in the first place,
0: so. Cool, well, I like that. So in that functionality, Is there like, I'm curious about actionable data um, in this capacity because I'm a data nerd and I want to understand like, hey, what's the the actual lift conversion rate when it comes to what's, you know, the lift if I'm working with Fermat and and companies like that, is there a significant increase uh, if you go from, what, five to two or whatever the traditional cut down of how many steps you have to go to before you get to checkout? Is there a big lift where you can see it?
1: This is like the most unbelievable part of this whole thing. So, 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 I mean, like I can't with all the details I can't, yeah. I mean, I, I truly can't make this stuff up because uh, I would not have imagined it to be true. So the first thing is that when you're watching creator content on social versus seeing a normal ad on social. So like a normal Mm -hmm. ad on social media for e-commerce, basically the click out rate to the brand's website is like between 0.9 and 1%. That's the average, right? You can, you can keep me honest, you know,
0: but yeah, two, yeah. 2.9. That's traditional well, email as well as like any sort of a paid ad campaign. That's, that's pretty, pretty traditional, I would say. Sorry. Say that again. What? Uh, oh yeah. I would say like, that sounds pretty traditional in terms of that percentage.
1: Yeah. Like, yeah, exactly. So what we're seeing is if you actually have creator content, meaning like a creator is talking about a product, you get between two and three X that. Okay. In terms of the click to the actual flow. Then the second part is once you're on the brand website, usually the question is how, what percentage of people actually do a cart fill? Because the moment you have a cart fill, you have a very large number of tools to get from cart fill to actual checkout, right? You can do like abandoned cart reminders. You can do mm-hmm. all these sorts of things, right? So then the cart fill is actually like a pretty critical step. And the average cart fill for e-commerce is call it 4% for a D2C site. Right. Again, you right. can keep me honest if that doesn't sound right. That so, but- sounds
0: about right. Yeah. With with more on site attribution and conversion is pretty high. I know, like a marketplace, like an Amazon, it could be as high as like six or eight percent. I mean, it's pretty high when the in destination is, is more apparent. The closer you get to the cart, the higher conversion. Exactly. So,
1: what we're seeing when we do it in content, as opposed to in like a standard either D2C site or marketplace, is we're seeing anywhere between seven and 20 percent which is a very large change uh, depending on the type of content and, and things like that. And so, and then at that point, once you're in the actual checkout flow, now there's like a lot of confounding factors, but basically you have actually gotten the person to decide to do a card fill and you have the opportunity to now do a bunch of other things in order to get them to complete the checkout. And we're seeing that the, yeah, we're seeing that the lift dynamics are, actually incredibly powerful, incredibly powerful. And I think that this is not surprising when you zoom back out and like talking about like the rock and Mr. Beast again, like the only reason that you can get sales volumes like they're getting is because the extent of intent that gets created with creators is just dramatically different than when it's a standard product description page from a brand. Right. So right. that's like that's like sort of the magic sauce. And then once you're in the checkout flow, now you're sort of more in more standard territory. But the two steps before that is where all the magic happens.
0: It sounds like my goal should be, according to your shop, is 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 really I should get them to the checkout cart. And obviously there's so many other tools that can help me with that. But if the product is in the cart, why not in this capacity just add product XYZ to the cart on behalf of the influencer for example like obviously the intent is there automatically adding into the car does that eliminate or does that upset the customer is that is that a silly idea what what when people you know think through this process for them to actually decide to put it into a car is an is a step in, in of itself so if there's an intent process of hey you know you've added product to your car um already is, is that a backwards way to look at it or is that a process where it has to be actually intent from the customer to click on that button and say, add to cart is needed.
1: I think that generally speaking, you want to have the person at there's like, there's basically three reasons why you want to have the person actually click a button that says like, I have, like, I want to purchase right sure. Buy now, add to cart, whatever is the sort of phrasing that you use. The first one is that you want to give them the opportunity to see what happens when they click buy now. The second one is you want to have them, give them the ability to buy additional products to increase your average order value. And then the third one is that you actually want as many like true leads as you possibly can have. So the more people who are intentionally filling a cart, the more true leads your marketing tooling has, as opposed to people who are getting auto-added and now you know you're you actually don't know whether those people have real intent to buy the good right it's it's just sort of like hey you're browsing
0: they're they're just checking it out yeah
1: yeah like i actually i mean there's this company that i really admire and i actually don't know the data but i would love to have a conversation with them at some point called grove collaborative do you know grove collaborative uh no i haven't actually so you should go to their website what happens is when you go to their website as a first-time customer there's, like, 15 products that get automatically added to your cart. And it's actually, like, a very confusing Again, I admire this company, so I don't mean it in a negative way. But I'm, like, very not used to that type of thing, right? So, and this is sort of along the lines of what you were saying, which is, like, hey, why don't you just auto-add the thing to the cart? But it's just, like, wait a second. I didn't put these things in the cart. What are they doing here? And then now you're looking through this cart, and you're like, do I want this? Do I not want this? Like, what's going on? How do I look for products? And it it actually creates more questions to me. And so that's why I would love to have a conversation with this company and sort of better understand, hey, what are the set of things that you saw that led to this decision? Because the way I, I view these types of things is they know something that I don't know, right? It's like, I look at these types of decisions that feel different from what other people are doing as a source of inspiration. And it's like hey maybe they don't they know something that you and i don't know and we should sort of learn from from that decision yeah but i i don't i don't actually know what happens on average when you sort of pre-add things to a cart
0: yeah that would be interesting i i'm curious from um again every marketing agency that i've ever had on on the show has said hey eliminate barriers for people to get to the checkout um make that process as seamless as possible but it also there's a fine line. I want to make sure that that's clear in this um, for people who are listening. Is that there's that line that you cross of automation versus intent. Uh, I would I would I would argue to say that if they don't feel like they're in control of their own journey, then it gets really, you know, frustrating. And people have short attention spans. And if it's pop ups or things like that, and you don't know how to get to it, or you want to kind of like you said kind of peruse do a little research before you add it to the card there's so many different buyer avatars if you just assume and add, again some the marketing side of me is like hey maybe that's not such a big deal they're just ready to go and you want to make it streamlined for them but there's also a hey maybe they see something bigger more flashy uh they upgrade themselves or they do a little research then they come back so again you don't want to always assume that their intent is instantaneous Unless it's more of a, a campaign of, hey, Influencer XYZ is saying you get um, for all the first thousand people who purchase a bottle of The Rock's tequila again, they're going to get, you know, uh, a signed autograph from The Rock or something, something like that where it's in Byron intent. and there is an actual call to action within that, that quote unquote um, message. So um, I, I would be curious to see that data of people are against it and people or people enjoy it so um very interesting and curious so um i'm thinking a, a couple other things to shop in a couple um you know final moments that we have with you what what's kind of the goal and ambition with uh you and the team there what what what's kind of the the holes that you you have fixed but also the ones that you're currently looking to fill and and kind of problem solve for people what are those things that are on the roadmap for the future as you guys continue to grow out this awesome solution.
1: Yeah. So, I think at least for us the main the, the sort of driving forces for the company are one, we want to enable creators to actually have a very strong fulfilling mechanism with which they deliver creative output with e-commerce that actually gives fuel to that creative output and enables monetization so that way they can do that as a living right so that's like really big goal number one is what i would describe as like economic opportunity and economic enablement for creators and then really big goal number two is create a technology that allows for brands to acquire customers in a sustainable way especially given the shifts that are happening in the ecosystem so we haven't really talked about this yet but Big dimensions of change that are happening in the ecosystem are things like Apple's ATT. They're changing the privacy rules so that you can only capture a certain amount of information. Consumers opt out of that collection of information. And then Google's removing the third party cookie next year, which will create yet another change in how you capture consumer information, right? And so brands are going to have a very hard time growing as these changes happen. And I actually think that that's like a bad thing for economic output because you actually want more small and medium-sized brands to have more economic opportunity to continue to power the economy, right? You don't want to end up in a world where everything is controlled by a small number of extremely large retailers. You want to end up in a world where there's millions upon millions of entrepreneurs either building creative output or building products. And the way that we see it is we want to make sure that as there are changes in each of these ecosystems we want each of them to give fuel to the other right that's sort of like where the mission of the company lies
0: absolutely that, that's amazing i like to hear that and there, there's a reason we, we've talked so much uh, at length about you know apple the, the ios update um the cookie being rolled back there's a lot of different components which it does make sense that how do you look at outside tools and and collect build your audience collect information and know what's actually working. I know marketing people in general too. It really is difficult to to kind of go and look at what used to work and the data that would attribute to the growth and understand the customer and what was working, what wasn't. And I know this is where innovation comes. So that's why it's important to always understand, hey, as, as this kind of opportunity dies down, there'll be innovation to kind of grow and develop your own audience and research tools. Um, you know, developing, you know, influencer, um, pushing and growing, building your brand or, um, launching a new product. It all kind of has a own ecosystem that with innovation and, and kind of stoppage and, uh, Hey, that's the door that's now locked. You can't go down that people are gonna find another way to build another door. There's, um, gonna be cool innovation things just like you guys at format. So I think it's really cool what you guys are doing and kind of supplementing that, that, that stop gap, if you will, to make, help people grow, um, for, for people who are listening to this, I know we put in the show notes and as well as on live, if people want to connect with you um, in the team, or shop, what, what what's the best way to do that?
1: Yeah, so the best way is just to reach out. Either you can email me directly. I'm Rishab at firmatcommerce.com. Or uh, you can email our team. It's just hello at firmatcommerce.com. And we monitor that alias like a hawk. So <laughs> for sure, somebody will get back to you. That's the easiest way to to reach out to us.
0: I love that. Well, thank you so much. Hey, for uh, for everyone who finishes an episode with me and they, they make it through unscathed, or at least I think they make it through unscathed. I call, fr- <laughs> I call them a friend of the show. So I appreciate all my digging and my my questions. I know a lot of people uh, respond and are very intrigued by this uh, as well as I am. So uh, thank you for coming on and now becoming a friend of the show. You're more than welcome to come back in my corner of the internet next time. To, to share great insights on what you're seeing in the world and talk a little baseball next time uh see how see how those giants are doing um here this year i don't i don't know how they're doing so far but i know my cubs are doing pretty good so i'm i'm excited about that it's been it's been a couple of years since we've been up to snuff so i'm excited <laughs> no the giants the giants are the giants have had a good start to the season yeah so, well, that's awesome yeah. well congrats on all the success you guys are doing there and um uh, We'll, ha- we'll have to check in with you here down the road and see how things are going and, and and any insights that you can share with us we'd love to to kind of pass those along to our audience so thank you so much for hopping on today yeah thanks for having me all thank right for, thanks everyone awesome and then uh thank you our uh, and thank you everyone for coming on crossover commerce this has been episode two i'm gonna i'm gonna mispronounce this again 230 i'm gonna say 238 if i've been going Going on all episode, I just never see it as it comes by. But episode two thirty eight of Crossover Commerce. This is my corner of the internet where I bring the best brands in the Amazon e commerce space. Make sure you subscribe to our channels, whether it be on social media or if you download audio versions. Which again, we know you are listening to us. Uh, if you love the audio version only, make sure you subscribe on your favorite podcast destinations. That's gonna be on Apple, uh, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, wherever your favorite podcasts are. You just search for Crossover Commerce podcast. And we'll be there. Make sure you just download and subscribe and uh, like on that channel, and we'll appreciate that as we continue to pump out more great content moving forward. That being said, thank you, Ping Pong Payments. Thank you for everyone who's tuned in live. We'll catch you guys next time on another episode of Crossover Commerce. Take care.